We're going through the book of Daniel in this series called God's Vessel. And one key theme that we kept going back to is the theme of exile. The last few weeks, we've seen the challenges that Daniel faced as an exile in a pagan city of Babylon. And as Christians, we resonate a lot with this situation because we're also trying to serve God inside a culture that serves something else. And so a lot of times, there are challenges, there are differences, there are tensions and pressures that we must face. So we're looking through the book of Daniel to search for some answers and encouragement for our situation. Now, in the first part of the book that we saw, there were full of incredible stories and the lessons there were straightforward and easy to see. But we're now in the second part of the book where it's full of visions and it's more cryptic and harder to understand. But the lessons are just as crucial for us because God gave these information to prepare us for our mission in exile. God is giving us crucial intel about the future to help us today. So let's take a quick look at the crucial intel that God gives us at chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of, our, of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay. Because your city and your people bear your name. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be sevens, and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets in a trench, but in times of trouble. 
after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Anyone who looks into the Bible's prophecies about the far, far future will at some point look at this passage. That last part we just read is a key passage to the end times or the final end of the world as we know it. So there's crucial information here. And God answers Daniel's prayer with this crucial information that concerns our past, our present, and our future. Now let me say it up front. I won't dive deep into all the end-time prophecies here because one, I want to keep this message simple enough so that two, we can focus on utilizing the crucial intel that God has given us for our mission today. So what's the crucial intel that we need for our mission today? There's at least three here that I'd like to see. What to expect in the future, number one. What to recognize in the past. And last, what to do in the present. So there's crucial intel here for our future, our past, and our present. Let's take a quick look at our future first. What can we expect? Now, when it comes to the future, Many people fall into two extremes. At one end of the extreme, some people get way too obsessed with the future. They endlessly speculate and debate and calculate, but that's unhealthy, that's unwise. Because remember, the reason why God gave us crucial intel about the future is to help us fulfill our mission today. That has to be our focus. The intel serves to inspire obedience not to satisfy curiosity so we should avoid that extreme but at the other end of the extreme some people say well you know the end times are not that important i'll focus on today i won't look into it anymore now that's also very unwise because god clearly thought that this intel was crucial enough for our mission today so we shouldn't ignore it what should we do then with the Bible's prophecies about the end times. Well, what does Daniel do? It says there that Daniel understood from the scriptures that the future of Israel is going to last 70 years in desolation. Now, when Daniel learned about this crucial intel, what does he do? On the one hand, he doesn't endlessly speculate about what's going to happen and it's the 70 years and so on. No, he doesn't do that. But also, he doesn't ignore it. He listens to it. And what does he do? He prays. He confesses. He worships. In other words, Daniel's using this crucial intel about the future to fulfill his mission to serve and love God today. If you notice, throughout the prayer, Daniel constantly is contrasting between God being absolutely faithful and just and them being unfaithful, being unrighteous. But then at the very end, Daniel turns around and he says, Lord, 
Hear our prayers anyway. Restore us anyway. Restore your people, your city, your sanctuary, not because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. So Daniel is using this crucial intel about the future to drive himself deeper into worship, to drive his hope in God even stronger, to drive his confession even deeper. In other words, what we should do with the Bible's prophecies about the end times is to help us fulfill our mission today, to love God today, to serve God today. That's what we should do. Well, what then is the crucial intel that we can use to do that? Daniel saw from the prophet Jeremiah crucial intel about Israel's future. But what about ours? Well, fortunately for us, God answers Daniel's prayer through the angel Gabriel with a vision about the future that far exceeds just Israel's future. See, in verse 24, God says it's 70 sevens. Daniel was concerned about the 70 years, but God expands that to say 70 sevens. Now, I'll talk more about that later. But for now, notice that God is saying by the end of these 70 sevens, he will accomplish these six goals. And just from these six goals alone, you'll notice that God's no longer just talking about Israel's future. He's talking about something way bigger. He's thinking about something more ultimate. He's thinking about the end of all mankind, about the end of human history as we know it. See, if you take a look at these six goals, what does it all mean? Let me try to paint a picture here. The first three goals, you'll notice, God is talking about the problem of sin. It says there, God's going to finish transgression. He's going to put an end to sin. Now that means, you look around the world today, and all the oppression, all the injustice, all the violence, that is all going to disappear forever. No more lies. No more greed, no more lust, no more bitterness, no more. No more wars, no more tears, and no more fears. Can you imagine a world without all of that? God says, that's how it's all going to end. I'm going to put an end to sin's presence in your lives, to sin's power over this world. In fact, God says, He's going to atone for wickedness. In other words, God's not only going to deal with sin's presence and power, but even the penalty of sin in our lives. Now, how can God do that? How can God just overlook the penalty of our sins without being unjust? How? Well, the whole Old Testament, including Daniel, they had no idea how. But here is God announcing that He will make a way even when there seems to be no way. God will atone. For our wickedness. So just from these first three goals, God is saying, I'm going to fully, completely, perfectly resolve sin's power, presence, and penalty in your lives. All your problems with sin will be fully resolved. And then just look at the next three goals. God starts to talk about the restoration of every good thing. God's going to bring in everlasting righteousness. That means every wrong thing in this world 
is going to be replaced with something good. It's going to be made right. You look at the greed around this world, and God says He's going to replace that with radical generosity and compassion. You look at the wars, the oppressions around this world today, God says He's going to replace that with unity and justice and peace. You look at the tears in your lives and the fears in your heart. God says He's going to replace that with joy, with laughter. Everything in this world, this world is going to be filled with goodness and righteousness. It's going to be natural. It's going to be normal. And then the fifth goal, God says, He's going to seal up vision and prophecy. And that basically means God's going to completely fulfill all His promises that are contained in the visions and in the prophecies. So remember the promise of everlasting joy? The promise of His loving presence? forevermore the promise of life glory beauty all of that is on its way god says by the end i'll have fulfilled all of that and then the sixth goal god says he's going to anoint the most holy place and that basically means god is going to restore and establish a joyful grateful worship for his people so there's going to be a rejoicing in the Lord. There's going to be music and dancing and singing. There's going to be eating and drinking together. We are going to rejoice in God. God says, that's how it all ends. That's your future. It's unimaginably bright and beautiful and good. So all our problems are going to be fully resolved. Every wrong is going to be made right. God is going to completely complete a future that is so perfect, perfectly. It's going to be breathtaking. It's going to be glorious. Do you know how to use that crucial intel about the future today? Do you know how? Here's one way. Notice Daniel at first was praying about the 70 years of Israel. Now, God answers that prayer, yes, but then God points Daniel to the very end of history. God is saying, look, Daniel, whatever happens here, whatever happens today, tomorrow, or, or every other day until the very end, you don't know, but here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that it all ends beautiful. It's going to be unimaginably good. See, some of us, get so caught up with today, tomorrow, and all the other middle days before the end. We think about, what about tomorrow? What about today? What if this? What if that? So we get anxious. We worry. We overthink. But our main problem is not uncertainty of the future. That's not. Our main problem is that we're not using the crucial intel that God has given us. We don't know what will happen tomorrow or next year, but we know how it all ends. It's unimaginably good. So why worry? Why get anxious? Why be upset? Why be afraid? Face today in the middle of our exile with courage, with peace, and with faithful service to our Lord God. That's the crucial intel that we can get about our future. Now, the second piece of intel that we get is what can we recognize about our past? 
Now, verse 24 talks about the six goals, the, the ultimate end. But verse 25 to 27 now starts to detail to us an outline of the stages towards that ultimate future. Now, remember, for Daniel, this was all the future to him. He, he didn't see all this happen yet. He doesn't have a clear picture of how it all happens. But we do. We have the advantage because we now live in the year 2022. We have the New Testament. So we can look back at history, at the past, and be able to recognize that at least some of these prophecies have already happened. It's already been fulfilled. And therefore, we have even greater resource and reason than Daniel to know and trust that God's word is sure. And see, here's where the 77s come in. And by the way, any student of the Bible can tell you that this passage is one of the most difficult passages in the Bible. So, in the next few minutes, I need you to listen closely because this might get a little bit technical. But stick with me and I promise you that by the end of this tunnel, you'll find that these are very crucial intel for our mission today. Now, before we get in, we need to first understand three things. So we need to understand three things, and then I'll go back and explain what the 77s mean. And the first thing we need to understand is notice that these 77s are broken down into three stages. There's seven sevens, there's 62 sevens, and then there's one last seven, which totals to 77s. So there are three distinct stages. And God says, at the end of each stage, I'm going to do something big. I'm going to do something great, right? So that's the first thing. Second, what's with all these sevens? We need to understand what it means. Now, here's where it gets tricky. Some people understand 77s to mean literally 77 years. So 70 times 7 is 490 years. And they understand that to be literal years. Now, some people might disagree and say the 77s are not years. They just represent something else. Now, you don't, I, don't, I won't go into that, but here's what we can all agree on. Everyone across the spectrum agrees that in scriptures, numbers may sometimes carry a symbolic meaning. Now, for example, we Chinese people also do that. We associate the number four with the concept of death. And scriptures does something like that. So you'll see in scriptures, you often read about the numbers 3 or 40 or 1,000. And these numbers usually carry some symbolic meaning with that. Now listen, I'm not saying that when scriptures say 3, it doesn't really mean 3. I don't mean that. For example, obviously, when scriptures say that Jesus rode on the third day, it's not just symbolic. Jesus really rose on the third day. But the fact is, the number three also carries with it an association of some other ideas. It, 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 it makes you ref remember about Jonah being in the, in the big fish for three days. And there's some symbolism there, right? Now, I say all that because in scriptures, the number seven represents completeness or perfection. So for example, 
in the account of the creation, God finished creation in six days and on the seventh day, He rested. The work of creation is completed. The work of creation is now perfect. Got that? Now, when scriptures use multiple sevens, such as seven sevens or seventy, that was a means of emphasizing the sense of perfection and completeness. It's saying it's completely complete. It's perfectly perfect, right? So that's why when you see Daniel, he sees from the prophet Jeremiah that Israel's desolation would last 70 years. Now, on the one hand, Daniel understands that to be 70 literal years. But on the other hand, the 70 years also represent that God's discipline is now complete. It's now perfected. It's over and it's time to restore Jerusalem and the temple. And so Daniel sees the 70 years and he prays about it. And the angel Gabriel, this is interesting, the angel Gabriel comes in and he says, it's not just 70 years, it's 70 sevens. God is completing something way bigger. God is perfecting something way more ultimate than just Israel. So that's number two. Now, number three we need to understand is that there's one other use of seven and seven sevens in the Old Testament, and it fits perfectly right here. And that is the sabbatical year and the year of the Jubilee. It says there in Leviticus 25, in verse three, for six years, sow your fields, and for six years, prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Then down there in verse 8, it says, count off seven Sabbath years, that is, seven times seven years. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land. Return to your family property and to your own clan. Do not sow and do not reap, for it is a jubilee and is to be holy for you. So God commanded the Israelites that every seven years, they ought to observe a sabbatical year. It's a year of rest. Even the land was to be rested. There's no sowing. There's no reaping. So it's an incredible year. But there's a greater level of sabbatical rest, and that is the year of jubilee. At the end of seven, seven years, that is the 50th year, Israel was to observe a year of jubilee. And this is one of the most astounding regulations that God gave Israel. You know why? Because in the year of jubilee, everything is to be restored. You know, all the debt that you incurred in the past years is going to be completely forgiven, completely washed off. All the land that was lost in the previous years it was going to be restored back to its proper owner. All of God's people who ended up becoming slaves in the past years, they were to be set free. So everyone was going back to their own land, going back to their own clans, their own homes, their own families, and they were going to rest and enjoy. And it was a jubilee to the Lord. It was incredible. Even the land was to be rested. There was going to be no sowing, no reaping, no work was going to be done because in the year of Jubilee, God was the one who was going to provide for His people. And anyone can freely get what God has provided. 
That's the year of Jubilee, and it's an incredible phenomenon. Now, what does these things, these three things, what does this have to do with the 77s? Let's get into it. The first stage of the 77s are talking about the seven sevens, and it's talking about Jerusalem and the temple there being restored. It says there that from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, there will be seven sevens, and it will be rebuilt with streets and a trench. In other words, at the end of seven sevens, Jerusalem will already be rebuilt with streets in a trench. So this was an answer to Daniel's prayer about Jerusalem. God was assuring Daniel that Israel, Jerusalem, would indeed be restored. Now remember, for Daniel, this was all the future. But for us, we have the advantage because we can look back at history. And you know what? Historically speaking, in 538 BC, King Cyrus ordered the rebuilding of Jerusalem. In 445 BC, King Artaxerxes ordered the rebuilding of Jerusalem's walls. Now, there are a lot of disagreements about the exact dates and the calculation of the seven sevens, but the fact is, historical fact is, against all odds, Jerusalem was restored. God had decisively acted in history to accomplish the first stage of his plan for the ultimate future. And remember, what does the seven and the jubilee years mean? It, it's, a, it's a sense of completion. It's a sense of perfection and restoration. And like the year of jubilee, after the seven sevens, Israel got its own jubilee. God gave them their jubilee because they finally were restored back to their lands, to their clans, to their families, to their home. They were set free from their exile and they got back home to rest and, and rejoice in God. And like the year of Jubilee, no one had to work for this because God was the one who provided the way back home for his people in exile. It's amazing. And this first stage, after it is done, it's what opens us to the second stage of the 77s, and that is the 62 sevens. Now it says there, after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. Now this anointed one is key to the whole plan of God. He's at the center of the 77s. He will be key to accomplishing the future that God has in store for us. Who is this guy? Ultimately, it, it has to be Jesus Christ. He's the one put to death. He's the one who had nothing. And you know what that phrase means? Here's what I think it means. Jesus had nothing. He got no justice, no mercy, no kindness. At his darkest hour, he had no one to depend on. Everyone failed him. He was deserted. He was betrayed. He was abandoned. And at the cross, Jesus even felt like he had no God to rely on anymore. He felt forsaken. Jesus had absolutely nothing. And you know why? Because he's the key to accomplishing God's future for us. 
You remember, what was God's six goals about the future? To put an end to sin, to establish righteousness, to atone for wickedness. But how can God do that? How could God put an end to sin without ending us sinners? How could God atone for wickedness? How could God overlook the penalty of our sins? How could God establish righteousness without obliterating those who are responsible for it? Jesus comes and he does all that. He's the key. He's the one who's put to death so that sin is put to an end. We have our sins atoned by his blood. He paid for the penalty of our sins. And because Jesus had nothing, we get everything. And the historical fact is, against all odds, Jesus rose again from the grave back to life and glory and everlasting dominion. He is the King of Kings. And against all odds, sinners like us could be restored back to glory with Him. See, God has decisively acted in history to accomplish the second stage of His plan for the future. And that's what opens us to the very last stage, the last seven. Now, what's this last seven? Some say between the second and the third stage, there's a gap. And so the, seven, the last seven hasn't happened yet. They believe it's the seven last years of history. It's the seven-year Great Tribulation. Now, others disagree. But here's what we all agree on. We all agree that by the end of the 77s, it's the end of the world as we know it, and God will have accomplished our future. But here's what I want you to think about. At the end of the first stage, at the end of seven sevens, God gave Israel its jubilee. Jerusalem, the temple was restored, and that opened the way for us to have the second stage, which is Jesus being put to death in Jerusalem, by Jerusalem. But that opens the way for the end of the third stage. And that is, God's people and creation will be restored. You see, at the end of the first stage, Israel got its jubilee. But at the end of the 77th, when all is said and done, God will give the ultimate jubilee for all His people across all nations, across all history. God is going to achieve for us the ultimate jubilee. It's going to be the jubilee of all jubilees. Because this time, in this jubilee, everything, truly, truly everything, is going to be restored. All the debts of our sins that we incurred the past years, the past life, is going to be completely forgiven, completely washed off. All the good things that we lost, all the good desires and dreams that we lost the past years, it's going to be restored back to us. All of God's people who were once slaves to sin and suffering and death, we will be completely set free. Everyone, truly everyone in Christ is going back home, back to our real country, back to our real family, back to our real home in God. We are going home from exile, and we're going to rest. We're going to be celebrating. It's a year of jubilee for us. 
and see, like the Jubilee, this ultimate Jubilee, no one had to work for this. No one. Because God was the one who made a way back home for us. God made a way when there seemed to be no way, and the way was Jesus Christ. Through Him, God accomplishes for us an ultimate jubilee at the end of our history. And anyone, anyone, truly anyone, can receive this way back home. All they need to do is trust that Christ is the way God has provided back so you see, this is what we can recognize from history. And sure, if you look at things today, you look at our local news, you look at the world news, things look bleak. It makes you want to give up. It makes you so frustrated. And we, it makes us disappointed, right? But what we need to do is look back at the past and recognize that God has decisively acted in history. He's accomplishing his final plan. He's accomplished at least 69 out of the 77s. He's almost done. We're at the brink of reaching that ultimate jubilee that God has prepared for us. So why worry about today? Why be anxious? Why be afraid? Look at that and you can be secure and face the middle of this exile with courage and with peace and with faithful service to our God. That's the second piece of crucial intel. And now the third is, what then should we be doing in the present? Now I want to end all this with two simple practical steps that we can start doing today, right now. And the first is, expect suffering and endure it. Expect and endure suffering. Now, notice the angel Gabriel with God's answer ends all this by saying that the people of the ruler will come. Now, who is this guy? This guy is an enemy to God. He's trying to do exactly the opposite of God's goal. Remember, God's goal is to put an end to sin. It's to, it's to establish righteousness. But when this guy comes, he is going to bring wars and desolations. And remember, God's goal is to rebuild Jerusalem and the sanctuary. When this guy comes, he's going to destroy the city and the sanctuary. He's going to destroy that. When God's goal is to establish his worship, to make it flourish. But when this guy comes, he's going to put an end to sacrifice and offering. And instead, he's going to set up an abomination that causes desolation. So this guy is, is, is the enemy of God. He's trying to do the opposite of God's goals. And some say this guy refers to the Antichrist that appears at the end of history. Now, some people also disagree. But here's what we can all say. And here's what I want you to focus on, is that this shows us that there's a cosmic struggle going on that we don't even fully understand right now. And that means there's always opposition to God's mission. Therefore, God's people will suffer. We're going to suffer all through the scriptures. 
all through church history, even until today, you always see God's people being attacked by rulers or governments or systems. There's always some powerful force in the world trying to oppose God's work, trying to put an end to God's plan, trying to put an end to God's worship. Therefore, Christians expect suffering. Don't plan your life as if it's going to be smooth sailing. It's not going to be. As long as you're serving God, it's not going to be. There's no way, there's just no way that you can keep serving God and be comfortable at the same time. No way. There's always going to be suffering. Expect it, but also endure it. Because notice, God says, this, these are all decreed. That means it's all part of the plan. It's all part of the process. This is part of the 77s. Expect it, but endure it because you know that one day it will end and the future has been set. You're, you're heading towards that future. So expect suffering and endure it till the end. And number two is, Give everything you've got towards God's plan. You have to give everything you've got towards God's plan. Now notice at the very start, Daniel, when he learns from Scripture about the 70 years, what does he do? He prays, he fasts, he pleads with God. Now wait a minute. Why is Daniel acting like this? Didn't God already promise this? Didn't God already said he would do it? Is this a lack of faith on Daniel's part? No, it's an act of faith. Daniel took God at his word and he responded by giving everything he's got towards God's purposes. Listen, the scriptures never teach us to be passive and do nothing and just wait for God's promise to be fulfilled. No, in fact, it's the opposite. Scriptures call us to respond with everything we've got, to follow God's purposes, because we know this is what he wants and this is what he's going to accomplish. So listen, when Daniel learned about the 70 years, he fasted and prayed. When we learned about the 77s, should we just wait around? No, we should give everything we've got towards God's purposes for history. We should be praying and fasting and seeking and serving towards that goal. So we should pray and work to put an end to sin, to bring in everlasting righteousness in our community, in our nation, in the world. We should pray and work to have more people know Jesus Christ and have their sins atoned for, to have, to have their wickedness atoned for. We should pray and work to see God's worship established and flourish in every place, in every human heart. And yes, that means a lot of sacrifices. That means a lot of suffering. Expect it, but also endure it. Endure it. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. God's going to completely complete a future that is perfect, perfectly. 
The future is unimaginably good, and the past has proven it to us. Therefore, in the present, in the middle of our exile, face it and serve God and love God today with courage, with peace, and with faithful service to the God who holds our past, present, and future. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, you hold all eternity from our past, today, and in the future. It's all firmly in your sovereign hands. So Lord, help us to put all our worries and fears, all our tears, all our, all our cries to you, Lord, and trust that you are bringing us to an end that is unimaginably good. Father, inspire hope in us. Drive us deeper into worship. Help us confess greater of all our sins. Lord, lead us to love you, to serve you, to obey you today. Thank you, Lord, for assuring us of such a bright and beautiful future. And we thank you that it was all made possible through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. We are grateful and we rejoice in you. And we look forward to the day when we can get home and embrace your arms. Thank you, Lord. This is our prayer. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, the Anointed One, who had nothing so that we get everything. In His name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining our online worship. I pray that this message inspires hope in you and to look forward to our future. God bless you.